Hello there, everybody. Welcome, Welcome to Jewish. To Jewish. Season two. Sometimes in life we look around at one another, become very complacent. song that I wrote for two friends of mine that reminded me in the most glorious way that there's no need for any human being to ever be complacent. tonight uh, because of the announcement of the death of the great Nancy Griffith, one of our uh, favorites, and we'll talk more about her tomorrow with Thu, because I don't know if you know this, but Thu is the one who first introduced me to her uh, music, or uh, I don't know, I actually, I think it, I think I may have heard about it from somebody else, but he was a fan of hers before I was, and when I first brought it up, Thu kind of confirmed that she was 
she was great, and she was great. And um, you got to see her once at the Ginter Gardens, I think, right? Yeah. Um, Is that I the saw only her in, time I saw her? I think that's right. I saw her in Dublin and New Haven, and uh, I don't know, there may have been other places in there, but mostly we've been listening to recordings. Um, I think she was probably one of the first performers for you to be enough aware of so that when new albums came out, you were particularly aware of of them intersection the last one but also one or two before that and I, th I think you said recently that you felt that she might have been the one songwriter who was most influential for you is that uh, oh yeah easily yeah and in what in what way how would you how would you describe that what would be the nature Everywhere, of the, the, the melodies and the inflections and parts of the tone of the writing and the guitar Parts and pickings and the, the tone and the meaning, just everything. I was um, I was glad to see in several of the obituaries the word literary, which is appropriate given her origins, which were kind of as a yeah. short story writer, but also there there is a, a literary feeling to a lot of her songs as a storyteller, hmm. um, but also kind of as an observer of. Um, of human relations and she I don't know what to make of um, the way that her career combined being a great songwriter but also doing a lot of very impressive covers and releasing whole albums of yeah. um, covers so I didn't it, in one of the in one of the obituaries I learned for the first time that she suffered not just from cancer but also from a skin disease that was what cost her the guitar um, playing. And I'd, I'd forgotten that she won a, a Grammy for best contemporary folk album um, in nineteen ninety four for other voices. Yeah. yeah, and that's great. I, I'm I'm um, the Times obituary, and all these obituaries are in a sense premature because apparently it was her wish that there not really be a, um, a press release or a statement until a week after her death. Really? So there's probably a further mm -hmm. announcement coming a week from now, and we'll be attentive to that when it comes out. But um, in 1993, which was the year before she won the Grammy, she said that the one thing that she hoped for was that her music would still be remembered when she was in her 60s. And she died in her 60s, and that seems way too young. But I, I think given the tributes that we're seeing these days, uh, today, from Susie Vargas and from Roseanne Cash and from Maura O'Connell and, fr and from um, Darius Rucker, who's being quoted, um, a lot and who did a uh, duet with her on the song we'll conclude with uh, today to me one of her, her greatest songs um, Gulf Coast Highway um, uh, her music certainly did have that longevity which is the word she used for what she wanted and I hope she'll have great longevity because she deserves it and uh, the songs merit that um, she she is a songwriter who for me um you know what's very striking is how certain songs were meaningful to me when i was younger and others have become much more meaningful 
for me now that I'm older. There's one called Two for the Road, which I really cherish now just as well as a happily married person um, that we... Oh, and we um, the producer and I saw her play that song at the Birchmere, I remember now, and uh, that rendition of it always has made a big impression on me. So anyway, um, um, we mourn Nancy Griffith today and are grateful for the music she leaves us. And then the one other thing I thought we might talk about today was that Bad Batch Season 1 came to its conclusion, and we watched that with your friends, and um, that's a good series, I think, huh? Yeah, that you know, was fun. Yeah. That was a good one. Did, did, it, did, did the ending surprise you? No, not particularly. I, I guess what strikes me is how much it left unresolved. Um, I, I assume we have to imagine... Well, there's a season two already announced. Right. But, I mean, I guess none of the big questions from season one really resolved mm-hmm. would be my point. I don't want to give it away from people who haven't seen They've done that with every TV recent Star Wars Oh, really? Series. That's what they do? And that's what they did with The Mandalorian. They like setting up Season, that's I see. Season. I see. Okay. Well, they did that. I think very effectively. Um, so, I I don't think this is a, um, a spoiler for anybody because if you watched the previous episode, you saw that the city of Camino was under attack and was in the the planet of Camino was under attack and was being destroyed. And I wonder what you make of that as a, uh, as a conclusion. Well, the only significance of it is that there are two parts of Star Wars. There's what's considered canon, which is what's like currently accepted by the company that owns it, Disney. And there's what's called Legends, which is what, before Lucasfilms was sold, was considered like the real Star Wars story. In Legends, Kamino is destroyed in what's called the Battle of Kamino, where there's a whole clone uprising when they're trying to be decommissioned and the stormtroopers huh. fight the clones and huh. the clones and for it to be like this where it just gets destroyed and the clones are gone already is very very different and I'm a little disappointed about that but because this seemed like it was a kind of insignificant personal event in some ways uh-huh. just to the characters but not to like I don't know. You know, that represents the end of the Republic or the Clone Wars right. in a lot of ways. This was a very intense episode, I thought, in a series that yeah. had a lot of intense episodes, but this was a particular mm-hmm. one. And I felt it did a kind of service because I think as a whole, the series has been one that you'd have to say would be a little bit more acceptable for kids mm-hmm. than a lot of other stuff that Disney runs. Mm-hmm. And that has a kid although a very interestingly positioned kid as the center of it, the point is made today that she's actually older than the clones in the, the bad batch. But, um, you know, we are at a, we are at a moment when, um, the Taliban is involved in various kinds of bombardments of cities in Afghanistan. It's a terrible war going on in Ethiopia. Um, I, I do think there was something particularly striking about the bombardment of a city. You and I have just been reading 
San Exupery writing about mm. the bombardment of Madrid during the Spanish Civil, Civil War yeah. and so on. And the the um, you know everything that we're watching in Bad Match is preliminary to creation of the um, success of Death Stars, right? And there is there is a way in which one could say that the Death Stars until Rogue One trivialized destruction, right? It's a whole planet goes and there you don't see it and there isn't much you know Leia doesn't isn't destroyed by it she bounces back and is telling jokes later in that film Obi-Wan has a brief scene in it and so on mm-hmm. I just think this, sustain, this sustained depiction of aerial bombardment while not doing it in a way so that it's horrible for kids mm-hmm. just I, I thought it was very persuasive I think it's a yeah. good use of the technology I agree um, and um, I guess I want to use that as a way of wrapping up this episode for us just because one of Nancy Griffith's big priorities and big achievements well there were two landmines was one and trying to make sure that people understood the destruction that happens in the aftermath of war but also having had a husband who was a Vietnam vet who um, suffered PTSD and that was the unraveling of the relationship and she she looped around to that later in her life and engaged with it and I just think it's very possible to and her admiration by the way for the Vietnam War photographer Dickie Chappelle whose work we saw when we were at the um, War Museum in Vietnam I just think that we it's not hard it's not a stretch to imagine that Nancy Griffith would applaud a realistic depiction of war in a way that would be tolerable for children to take on Board. So there, there, there is for me a kind of connection between that and um, um, trying to acknowledge her priorities on the day of her passing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, conclude with Gulf Coast Highway and we'll wrap up for today and we'll see you tomorrow for the shindig. All right. <laughs>
It's when we die, we say.